Welcome to the Cotton Specialist Corner podcast. I'm Steve Brown, Extension Agronomist at Auburn University. With me today are Brian Paralisi of Mississippi State and Matt Foster of LSU. So welcome, guys. We're talking today about variety selection, how you approach farmers and help farmers with this very important decision. So we're kind of getting a Mid-South perspective after hearing from the Southeast and the Eastern part of the U.S. and also from the West. So We'll start with Brian, and I'll ask the broad question of how do you and your institution, how do y'all approach variety evaluation, and then how do you distribute and share that information with growers and others? So, Brian, why don't you tackle that question first, and then, Matt, you can follow. So, at Mississippi State, we do it a little bit different with the cotton, which in my program as the cotton extension specialist, I do the OVT, facial variety trial, as well as like the all-farm county demonstration. Whereas the other commodities, there's a OVT crew that does the OVT. So we produce that information and generate a publication every year. And we have the Road Crop Short Course, which is a premier event that we host at Mississippi State. And that's probably the first time that year's data gets released for the year for both trials. And then just like the other specialists, we have you know our Extension County tour where we distribute that information as well as on mississippi-crops.com. It's like our blog or newsletter page, and we have that information, as well as plenty of other useful information out there. In terms of your on-farm trials, as well as your OVT program, your small plot program, how many locations do you have for the two respective measures? So we do between nine and 10 OVT locations, depending on the year. Sometimes there's some crop rotation for instance, we have a Tunica Cenotopia area, which is in North Mississippi. It's on a grower's farm, but the OVT, sometimes he has that location in corn. So it's usually nine. And we've had some instances with backwater flooding where we've been down to seven, but nine to 10 is our goal. And then in terms of on farm, 15 is what we shoot for. That's what we typically have. Sometimes we throw in a couple more if we can. And then every now and then we'll have some, like last year, we had a couple of failures due to drought and some dry land environments, so we only had 12. But for most cases, nine OVTs and 15 on farm. Those are usually split basically 50-50 between the Delta and the Hills. So do you try to do a different set of trials for the Hills versus the Delta, or you keep the same across those locations? So what we do in the on farm is we keep the varieties the same. The only discrepancy we have is some of the growers may opt to have one technology in their trial or the other, but we keep the same core block, you know, and that's the only problem we run into there. But in the OVT, it's the same variety in as many different environments across the state as we can. And that typically ranges from 40 to 60 or so varieties in the OVT. And on your own farm, how many varieties do you usually see in terms of entries? We have a core block of 10. We try to replicate it three times. You know, just depending on the farmer's field or, you know, what their preference. But most of these are repeat customers, if you will. Every now and then we'll pick up a new one, but for the most part, these guys want it on their farm because they get a firsthand look at variety performance in their field. How about at LSU, Matt? How do you approach the OVT as well as the on-farm program? It's very similar to Brian's program. We do our OVT around the state. 
OVTs are particularly done just at the research stations. So small plot replicated trials. They're done at four research stations, so we generally have six trials, different soil types, different planting dates, things of that nature. Entries run probably around 40 entries on the average. As far as the on-farm stuff, we try to do 10 locations throughout the state with 10 varieties. So they're very similar to Brian's approach. Again, our only hurdle is some growers will opt you know, to use a certain herbicide technology on the on-farm stuff. As you get in your data and present it in various fashions, do either of you have a recommended list of varieties? What do you mean, like recommended by the grower or from industry? Or In the distant past, some places would have a list of maybe eight or ten varieties. These would be the recommended varieties for planting in their state or region. Do you have anything formal like that, or you just you just present the data and it falls out as it will? When we do send out our OBT or on-farm entry form or whatever we're going to do, we set that test up, you know, against a couple of different industry standards. And then, you know, depending on how the variety performance lines up with those, you could probably interpret it that way. But like in terms of like soybean and corn, they'll have like a short list of varieties. But I guess we're kind of limited. We pull from a smaller pool of varieties anyway, you know, and there's such a turnover. I just think that we look at it almost annually. How about for you, Matt? Yeah, it's about the same as Brian. I had one question for Brian. Do you pick your varieties in the OVTs or do you strictly rely on the companies to choose those varieties? I send out an entry to the company and then it's, you know, got an entry fee and they can put in as many as they want, you know, within reason. So I don't pick. They just tell me what they want, this many for this price, and then we go from there. Now, our own farm, we kind of work it almost like a capitalist type thing. So there's a certain number of slots available for the market relative to the market share of, you know, roughly what's being planted in the state. So if they get a certain number of entries, they get to put what they want to put in there. Yeah, that's very similar to how we do it. You know, they get to pick and choose how many. We don't limit, you know, how many they can enter in the OVTs, but we do limit the amount they can enter in the on-farm stuff, two varieties per company. And we want those to be, you know, more popular, you know, standard varieties. You know, we want something that's tried and true in the on-farm stuff. And going back to like data dissemination, we do the same thing. You know, as soon as I get the data out, I send it to county agents, crop consultants, and to growers. And we post it on the website, presented at grower meetings. And we do an annual publication that's on the website and it's printed each year. Like most universities, you're doing small plots as well as large scale on-farm trials. Philosophically, how do you think about those two, and how do you think your grower clientele thinks about those two different types of trials, small plot versus on farm? Go ahead, Brian, what do you think? I would say our growers really rely on the on farm a little heavier than they do on the OBT. Not to discredit the OBT, because that's kind of like the step before the variety makes it into the on farm, if that makes any sense. That's where they get a look at, you know, which one maybe this experimental that's coming down the pipe. We have experimentals and commercial varieties in there. We have a two-year data table in the OVT, kind of just to show in the Delta and Hills, just to kind of see, you know, varieties that are ranking in the top two years in a row. And then it starts to get more attention. And then if it makes it to the home farm, then it's usually, you know, a very viable candidate for planting on their farm. Not to say that they don't make these selections out of the OVT. I think some people do. But, you know, I think it's just two schools of thought in terms of, you know, when you're selecting varieties. 
I'd say that we rely mostly on the own farm. What about for you, Matt? I personally tell grower put more emphasis on looking at the OVTs being this, you know, small plot replicated trials because most of my growers here, it's very hard to get them to replicate the on-farm trials. If they do, it's two replications, and you know as well as I do, you can't really run any stats on two reps. You need at least three. So that's why I, I kind of push more my growers toward looking at the OVTs versus the non-replicated strip trials. But they do, in some growers' minds, the on-farm data is more powerful because even though it's not replicated, it's over a wider area. You'll get them to look at both, but I suggest they look at the OVTs first and then use the on-farm data to supplement the data from the OVTs. And we provide a two-year average as well for varieties that are repeated over years. Yeah, Matt, I agree. I think the best approach is the more data you can look at, the better mm-hmm. informed decision you can make. But I think more than the difference in the two trials is to look at the environments in which they're in. So if you see a variety that does well in the OBT and the on-farm, and it happens to be in an environment similar to yours or region, you know, irrigation practice, then you get to check two or three boxes, you know, instead of just one. Mm-hmm. So it's just looking at as much data and historical data just to try to make an educated decision. And they look at company trials as well. You know, besides the university trials, we have several companies put in their own trials throughout the state. They'll look at that data as well. I tell growers, like you said, Brian, use every, you know, inch of data that's available. Y'all both kind of mentioned the issues of different technologies on the farm and the challenges associated with that. Do you think most of your farmers go with a single herbicide technology or are they mixed technologies on farm? What do you think about that? I would say it definitely leans more to a single herbicide technology on the farm, but it's not limited to that. Usually it depends on, you know, multiple things, the growers' capabilities, their equipment, if they're able to have multiple technologies on the farm or if they just even want to deal with it. Because we know that there's a lot of guidelines out there on how to manage multiple technologies. And there's a lot of educational type demonstrations each company has about clean out, spray out, like an ordered sequence in order to minimize off-target injury. But some people just don't want to deal with that. So, you know, it just depends. It's grower to grower. Some growers would rather have the test on their farm that has the different technologies, you know, to make those decisions. And some of them are like, look, I want to do the trial, but I don't want to mix technologies. So it just depends. How about it, Matt? Our growers like to keep it simple and stick with one type of herbicide technology. However, you do have a few, that you know, they have multiple sprayers and they'll kind of divide up half of their farm based on herbicide technology. Again, a lot of them will say, yeah, we'll do the trial, but we want to exclude these because, you know, we're using this herbicide and they're going to get movement of, you know, get that chemical on them and therefore kill the varieties. So at least, you know, they're honest up front. But I agree with Brian. They want to look at the simplest method as far as, you know, sticking with one technology. Have you ever lost a trial because it was sprayed with the alternative product? Yeah, I lost four last year. I only lost one last year, but I've lost anywhere from one to two. But most of the time, it just in the heat of the moment, somebody else is not aware of the trial coming in there or, you know, it's all over the board of why. Depending on the stage of the crop, it didn't take the one time. And, you know, they're usually really sorry about it. But we move on. I mean, it's not the end of the world, but everybody's a little disappointed. Are most of your trials now round roll pickers, or you still do some basket picking and module building from your trials, obviously on farm trials? What do you think? Out of the 15 that I do, 
let's say it's the core 15, two of them are basket pickers, but both of those operations, last I heard, will be moving into a round bell system in 23. Now, we do an on-farm on two of our research stations, and they're basket pick, but, you know, we handle that. Matt? Yeah, I'd say the majority of our on-farm are the, the new round bell pickers. I think out of nine last year, we had two that were basket pickers. Again, they're transitioning to the round bell pickers. Now, on the station, we still have the traditional basket pickers for the OVTs. I did see some data earlier this week, and it was from a beltwide perspective. I know Brian was a participant in this, that some of the weighing systems on the back of the new John Deere pickers is pretty accurate and really getting very close to being acceptable for handling that way rather than a platform-type scales. But that's a great advancement for a lot of on-farm evaluations. What do you think about that, Brian? We've done a lot of work looking at that. There's just a lot of moving parts with the system from what I've gathered. You know, with the hydraulic weighing system, it depends on, like, you know, heat of the oil, the time of when it's weighed and the machine's moving and things of that nature. But you can calibrate it and get it pretty close. And there's probably a lot of people listening that are more informed than I am. But I know on some of the newer pickers, I think they were going to more of a maybe a load cell type or something that could get a little more accurate. And then even the yield monitors calibrating those, you know, there can be some very accurate varieties out there. And then there can be some varieties, you know, due to the nature of it could be a bigger variance. So from what I see, there's still some work to be done, but it's on the right track. I think at some point we'll be able to kind of ditch these trailers that we carry around. Thank goodness. <laughs> Those <laughs> platform scales are a pain to haul around. But I don't think we're there yet. As you speak with producers and other decision makers, what do you recommend to them about diversification? I suspect there are very few farmers that plant a single variety or even just two varieties on farm. What do y'all talk about in that regard in terms of diversifying on farm and variety selection? I always tell them, just like you always hear, you know, don't put all your eggs in one basket. You know, pick one that you know that you feel the most comfortable with and then try a few others that you're interested in just to diversify. But then also think about your relative maturity, your picking capabilities, just to try to not only hedge against the weather potentially in the fall, but also your picking capabilities. If you have some kind of calamity that was specific, like we saw in 2022, if you planted early, and then you got nailed by the hot, dry May and June. And then that same cotton was opening in late August. And then we had the two weeks of wet weather. You know, if you had some difference in variety, difference in maturity, that could just offset some of that variability that could, you know, put a halt on all of your acres or decrease yield on all of your acres. So I just tell them, just don't go crazy, but whatever you're comfortable with in terms of two to three, maybe four varieties. With the bulk of it being, you know, one that you rely on. Right. Matt? Yeah, I advise growers to, you know, plant the bulk of their farm with, you know, their old standby varieties, one that they know how to manage, they know how to, you know, manage it with pigs, it's predictable. And we still have a lot of growers that still like the, even though they have to check it for worms and potentially spray it for worms, the 1646. I told them the other day, it's not going to be around forever. So kind of transitioning to looking at new varieties that are similar. But yeah, I recommend, you know, going by the old standby and then mixing, you know, these, you know, four other varieties, different maturities to kind of spread that risk during harvest and during the growing season out. Just kind of, you know, mitigate risk. It's interesting to look back and there was at one point, it maybe not necessarily for northern parts of the Delta, but we had a variety 
555 was so dominant in much of the southern half of the belt, it was kind of like King Kong. And 1646 has fallen into wide adaptation and productivity, but, you know, it's fading. So it does look like to me we're moving into an era where there are going to be multiple players and multiple varieties that we think can be near the top. So it may be less true for y'all's environment, but that's an interesting thing as we go forward. Yeah, I don't think we have that variety that's just everywhere, every environment that you can count on. You know, we might have one coming down the pipe, but there's a lot of new things afoot, you know, with our Bogart threes. There's some standouts out there, but there seem to be kind of still some placement issues to contend. And then we're moving into some drive on where, you know, there's a lot of genetic potential that are in those varieties that are coming down the pipe. So I just don't think that we have that variety that's just going to be across all acres just yet. As you mentioned, Thrive On, and we think about new varieties with new technologies and even some nematode resistance or so forth. We're seeing new things almost every year. How do you advise folks to incorporate these on their farm? You give them encouragements, you give them cautions. How do you approach that with them? I think that there's an inherent caution with growers with anything new like that. First of all, with Thrive On, with talking to the reps, I was just trying to get a ballpark figure about their sales and bookings. It'd be under 20% of our cotton acres, maybe more like 10 to 15 would thrive on. And most of that is grower caution. You know, there's a cost structure there. But by and large, it, like anything new, I mean, you don't want to just go crazy with it and just plant all your acres. I actually talked to a consultant the other day that was involved in, you know, like a large-scale stewarded program last year. And he was actually showing where he penciled out a profit, you know, in his environment, which wasn't just heavily plant bug you know, laden variety and it had high thrips pressure. He penciled out a profit with a drive on versus 1646. Obviously that's not everywhere. So it goes back to what we said earlier. I mean, plant the bulk of your acres with what you're comfortable with, then ease into that. And one last thing I'll say in terms of testing the thrive ons, you know, this is the first year that we're actually testing it in the OBTs. So there's not a whole lot of data out there outside of our experimental data on yield performance, which we do have two years of that, but a lot of times things are a little different once you put them in the OVT. How about it, Matt? Yeah, I advise them about the same. You know, just like buying a completely redesigned pickup truck with a new engine, new all bells and whistles, I would, you know, let it be out there in the real world scenarios for a couple of years before you make that purchase. And I think the same way about new cotton technology. You just kind of ease into it. Like Brian said, this is our first year. We're going to have it in the OVTs as well at LSU. You know, I've talked with several consultants and farmers that had it on their farm. And like Brian said, the data is kind of limited. We've had it in our experimental trials. But, you know, just kind of ease into it. Don't just go crazy with it. Okay. Any final thoughts you want to discuss or add in terms of variety selection? I don't really have anything extra. You know, if anybody has any questions, they can feel free to call. Just had a question for you guys. I know it's probably been the biggest question I've gotten this year. And I guess it's just probably related to the market. And it's just, I know most people are going to see a decrease in acres, but y'all have a handle on y'all's respective states and where your acres you think they'll be? It's a challenge to know. And I'm not sure that our people know, but as we get into corn planting season, it's going to occupy some acres. The numbers say we're going to be down. Probably our folks want to see a price in the high 80s or even into the 90s before they go back to cotton in a big way. Here in Alabama, they're going to plant as many peanuts as they can from a rotational standpoint. And then cotton is going to take a big chunk. 
but corn was devastated in North Alabama and a lot of places last year. So it's not quite as good a taste in their mouths from last year. We'll be down maybe, but I think it's still yet to be seen. A recent survey in Louisiana, you know, put us right at 20% decrease in acreage. And I think that's from talking with growers and consultants, I think that's fairly accurate. And it may be a little more depending on the weather and depending on, you know, price changes. It's a little early to tell, but I agree with Steve. As growers, you know, they need it into that 90 cents range, you know, 92 cents in order for them to, you know, to plant more. Yeah, same here. We wanted to get a little higher to plant more, but there's an infrastructure of cotton where we have almost a base amount where people are so invested, they're going to plant some. And then, you know, the spring is yet to completely unfold. You know, it's been so warm, but we know how that is in Mississippi. That probably means we got the Easter snap for sure coming, and it's probably going to be some more cold weather. So I'll have to see. Well, thanks for joining us for this session of the Cotton Specialist Corner podcast. We do thank Cotton Incorporated for their sponsorship and promotion of this effort. I do appreciate the insights and comments of Brian Paralisi from Mississippi State and Matt Foster of LSU. Thank you, guys. Thank you.